Good morning. The invitation song will be number 276. 276, there is power in the blood. What a blessing it is to be here this morning. We do have several who are traveling, not able to be with us. The Van Devenders are gone, and uh, that leaves a pretty, pretty good-sized hole over there. But uh, we miss you when you're gone, too, and we certainly do appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here all together this morning. I'm thankful that you've joined us. This morning, we're going to continue our study from the book of Luke. So go ahead and open with me to Luke chapter 5. Well, actually, Luke chapter 4. We're going to start back in chapter 4 and verse 31. And we're going to get into chapter 5 a little bit as well this morning. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is kind of the theme of the series, this series of lessons. And this morning, I want to focus on a much needed topic. Um, those who profess to be Christians today, too many see Jesus merely as their Savior, as someone who loves them and died for them, which is correct. He, he does and he did. But that's the extent of their understanding of Jesus and their perception of Jesus and the effect of Jesus in their life. Jesus is not their Lord in actuality. He is merely the object of their salvation and they're thankful to Him, I guess, to, in, in a way. But He's not their Lord. They don't understand His position and His, His purpose and what He does provide because He has all authority and what that authority means for me. I need to understand his authority. By the way, it's not just, okay, I understand he has all power and all authority. I need to learn how to trust in his authority. And what that in and of itself can do in my life. We have already pointed out that we need to sit at Jesus' feet. Listen, our whole life is based upon the life of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And his teaching. And so we need to sit at Jesus' feet, and we need to learn, as those in the first century sat at his feet, and learned his, his way. We need to learn of him so we can serve him properly. If we don't learn of him, then we can't serve him properly. We need to learn about his, uh, about his view of the Scripture and how he used Scripture and how we need to use Scripture. Scriptures, the Scripture should be the Guiding, fundamental guiding principle in our life. We need to know it, and we need to follow it. And we need to allow God's Word to not only change our behavior, but change who we are. And we need to learn how even to be rejected, as Jesus did. And we have looked at all these things in various passages from the book of Luke. This morning... We need to learn how to trust in His authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 18, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, Jesus has this power. He has this authority. This is from the Greek word exousia, which means the power of rule or government. Jesus has been given the authority to rule over all things. That includes you and me. Jesus Christ has the authority to issue the commands that we are to obey. 
He is worthy of our submission. And He demands our obedience. Beginning in verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. Let's read together uh, down through verse 37. Notice, then He went down to Capernaum. Now, last time when we left off in verse 30, Jesus was in Nazareth. And He was rejected in His own hometown. Now He journeys down to Capernaum. This is Peter, James, and Andrew's home. And was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and, it, and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? Or what a word this is? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, some interesting thoughts about this text is, first of all, Jesus is, again, teaching. Uh, when he was in Nazareth, he went, as was his custom, to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he taught. Now in Capernaum, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Not just one, but it says Sabbath, plural. And he taught the scriptures to them. Not as the scribes taught them, but as the Son of God with authority. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, there, that's the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is preaching with authority and teaching with authority. And people are amazed at His teaching. And one of the interesting things about His teaching is, you go and start in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus over and over made this statement. He said, You have heard it said to you, but I say to you, and what Jesus is doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is not only explaining the accurate understanding of the law, but also the application of that law to himself and to those who would be of God's kingdom. And so Jesus is taking the Scriptures and explaining the Scriptures correctly and properly. And he did this throughout the New Testament. He would confront people. Have you not read the Scriptures? Do you not understand the scriptures? Well, of course they didn't, but Jesus accurately portrayed them. And thus, as he spoke as the word of God, the scriptures spoke, then they understood him to be speaking with authority. Jesus is God's chosen spokesman for us today, for all of us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. And Jesus there is put forth not just as God's authorized spokesman, but there's a reason behind and underlying His authority. It is His Son. And His Son is the one who made the world, the worlds, and all things that exist. Colossians Chapter 1 emphasizes that point. He made everything. That was read a little earlier as the scripture reading. 
Jesus gave his apostles the authority then to speak on his behalf. You know, in the Great Commission, he sent them out. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus, before he was crucified, was with his disciples in that upper room. As they had observed the Passover, and Jesus institutes the supper that would commemorate his death. And he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to him and bring them into remembrance all things that he had spoken. And would guide them into all truth. John chapter 16 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul in his writings pointed out that he wrote according or as the Holy Spirit instructed. Ephesians 3 and verse 5. Peter even makes the point that the writings of the Apostle Paul, they are Scripture. Now, these men in the New Testament spoke by the authority of Jesus Christ. But listen, what authority would these men have if Jesus did not have all authority in himself? Jesus is the one who has the authority. And he administered that authority to us through his apostles. And we are to listen to everything. There are a lot of folks, you know, they say, well... They believe in Jesus' authority, but they'll reject the apostles' authority. That won't work. Because Jesus, by his authority, gave the apostles the authority that they have. And so everything that they wrote is also the authority of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is the full and final revelation of Jesus Christ. Jude in verse 3. So, Jesus taught with authority. Listen. Before we go any further, I just want to submit to you that we too can teach with authority. We can teach and we can point to the scriptures and say, this is what Jesus said. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4 and verse 11 says. There is so much talk being taught today that has, it's filled with human wisdom, human philosophy. It is filled with um, with these pick-me-up attitudes of, of self-help uh, that we've been inundated with since, the, I guess, the 80s. And that is continuing on, and most preachers have bought into this mindset of, of just, you know, being a motivational speaker instead of speaking with the authority of the Scripture. You know, and what Jesus did when he spoke he quoted the scriptures. He referred to the word of God. When the rabbi spoke, they would refer to what a, what a rabbi said, what another rabbi said, what this rabbi said, and what that rabbi, rabbi said. Instead of saying, this is what God said. Ladies and gentlemen, when we speak, let us speak with the authority of God's word. This is what God says. This is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus' apostles said. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13, in the ESV, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. The Scripture is where the authority lies. It's, it does not lie in me. It is in the Word of God. We need to be preaching and teaching. The things that God says in Titus 2 and verse 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You speak with authority. In order to do that, though, you have to speak the things of God as revealed in the Word of God. 
Titus, or 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And it's true, just as Paul says in verse 3, that the time will come when people not, will not endure sound doctrine. But they'll call to themselves teachers, and having itching ears, they'll turn their ears from the truth and the fables. But watch thou in all things. things. Make full proof of your ministry. Uh, we need to be preaching the word. For example, faith alone cannot save you or anyone else. And I care not how many preachers stand up in a pulpit or get on the television set and, and on the radio or on the internet and say, we're saved by faith alone. And they'll quote from Calvin, they'll quote from Martin Luther, they'll quote from, from all these reformers, they'll, they'll quote from from some great preacher such as Billy Graham. But where does the New Testament say that we're saved by faith alone? Now they'll quote passages that say we're saved by faith, to which I will agree, we are saved by faith. And no one will be saved without faith. That is true. But it is not a faith in and of itself, by itself, that will save you. You have to act on that faith. James says it this way in, in James chapter 2, verse 19 through 26. You say that you have faith. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. The question is asked, actually, in verse 19, or verse 14. Can faith without works save you? That's a rhetorical question. And verse 26, so that we see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now that's what the Bible says. Let us speak of the word of God. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. You know, Jesus said that. Why do so many people not believe that? Jesus said that. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. A fellow on Facebook uh, this past week pointed out to me that Jesus did not say he who believes and is he who believes and is hold on. He who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. Jesus didn't say that. No, he didn't. He didn't have to. But he did say, who, who believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21, baptism also now saves us. Who are we going to believe? We need to speak with authority, and we can speak with authority, when we simply say what the Scriptures say and teach what the Scriptures mean. In Galatians 5 and verse 4, Paul points out those who turn back to the law have fallen from grace. Many people today do not believe that you can do that if you're a Christian. But the Bible says you can. I've been studying with a fellow who, he's not a member of the church, but he's beginning to come out of denominationalism. And this is one of the things that he pointed out to me. He says, I... He said, this kind of got my attention and got me to thinking. He said, I'm reading my New Testament and I keep reading all these warnings and exhortations to Christians to be faithful. And if you're not faithful, you'll be lost. He said, I keep reading these passages. Where does this doctrine of once saved, always saved come from? It doesn't come from the Lord. It, it doesn't. Warning after warning we can find in the Scripture, but... Okay, so speak as the Bible speaks. Let's accept the authority 
of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the message that He revealed that He has given to us. Then in verses 33 through 35, Jesus exercised His authority. And the people saw it. The demons knew, by the way, who Jesus was, didn't they? This demon in particular said, We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus had, on several occasions, correct or silence the, the demons. They recognized Him. And they understood His authority. Do not torment us before our time. They knew that Jesus had authority over them. And by the way, when Jesus said, come out of Him, what did that demon do? Did the demon want to come out of him? No. The demon, however, was compelled to obey Jesus because of the authority that he has. The demon didn't have a choice. Now, we are free moral agents, and we have a choice. Jesus says who he is. He has all the authority that he has. And now he is giving you an opportunity to turn to him by your own free will to serve him. The day is going to come. When you yourself are going to be standing before him, if you have rejected him, and you will hear him say, depart from me, and you'll be compelled to do just that. You won't have a choice anymore. Because of Jesus' authority. In verse 38, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick and with a high fever. Now, Simon Peter, Peter was married. So if the Catholic Church is right about Peter being the first pope, which they're not, but if they were, then they would still be wrong because Peter was married. Peter had a wife. He had a mother-in-law, which they don't believe. But nevertheless, so he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had who had any that were sick with various diseases, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So we see in this text Jesus again, his authority being confirmed through the miracles that he did. There were no failed attempts to heal somebody. There were none of these excuses. Well, that person didn't have enough faith for me to heal them. I mean, Jesus raised people that were dead. He had authority over diseases and physical ailments. Jesus exhibited authority over material objects. I mean, he turned a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Jesus had authority over material things. He told Peter one time when they were pressed about paying taxes, he tells Peter to go throw his hook in the water and he pulls out this fish and it had a coin in it, in the mouth to pay taxes with. He turned water into wine. Jesus 
in this very text in chapter four, chapter five, verses four through eight, Jesus, after they'd been out fishing all night long, tells them to go out again and cast their nets. And they did as he said, and they hauled in this huge catch. Both the ships almost sank. So Jesus exhibited power over all things. Jesus exhibited power over the forces of nature, the wind, the seas, and the storms. Peace be still. And the storm obeyed him. It's interesting in Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. They're in the storm, and Jesus calms the storm, and, and the, his disciples are scared to death. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus' response to them is, where is your faith? Do you not trust my authority? You know, it was the authority of Jesus Christ that got the apostles' attention. It's his authority that got everyone's attention who followed him. Where is your faith? Jesus exhibited authority over the laws of physics. Listen, he walked on the water, and it wasn't frozen. <laughs> he walked on the water. Even Peter was able to walk on the water at the command of Christ until Peter began to look at the waves around him and he became afraid. He trusted in Jesus' authority enough to step out of the boat and walk to him at his command because Peter understood that there was power, there was authority in his word. And all was fine until Peter forgot the authority of Jesus. The laws of physics. That's what a miracle is, actually. It is a violation of the laws of physics, of natural law. And then he says, oh, ye of little faith. Why do you doubt? It was their lack of, lack of confidence in his authority. or They forgot his authority. That diminished their faith. Faith is intrinsically connected to the authority of Jesus Christ. We often think of faith as just, you know, okay, I believe in Him. I believe in Him. Well, if you really believe in Him, you also believe in His authority. Now, what is that belief in His authority going to, effect, going to do in effect to your life? How is that going to change your life? Jesus demonstrated authority over the spiritual realm. He cast out demons. Jesus demonstrated his authority over physical death. He raised a widow's son in Luke 7. He raised Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. He raised Lazarus in John 11. After Lazarus had been dead for three days, and as Martha said, by now he stinks. Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus has authority over physical death. And he demonstrated that even in the most clearly in his own resurrection. And that he is alive to never die again. He is eternally at the right hand of the Father and alive. And he has demonstrated the complete defeat of death. 
Jesus demonstrates his authority over sin and spiritual death. Notice, in fact, right in our text in Luke chapter 5. If you go on down to verses 17 and following, it so happened that there was a certain day as he was teaching that they, they come to this house, remember, and it was so packed that no one could get in really to, to see him. It says in verse 18, Then behold, men brought, on, brought one on a bed who was paralyzed, who they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with the bed through the, the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, see, they had faith in the authority of Jesus to help their friend. Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the response to that by the Pharisees in verse 21 was, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I want to say to you, they, they were right in their assessment. Only God can actually forgive sin. Because all sin is against God. Nobody else can forgive sins against God but God himself. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What does that necessarily imply regarding Jesus? And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. They, they accuse him of blasphemy. So Jesus says, look, this is all right. Why are you reasoning in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? Think about it. Which is easier for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Same thing, as far as effort's concerned. But Jesus then says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. This healing, this physical healing that all these people saw confirmed the authority that Jesus has to forgive sins, thus confirming his identity as the Son of God, confirming his authority as God. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus gives life in John 10, verse 11 and verse 28. Jesus gives life to his sheep. Jesus is the source of our spiritual life. Now, all of these things, these manifestations of the authority of Jesus Christ should have a profound effect on us. In John 20 and verses 30 through 31, look, we, we were not there. We did not see the miracles. And I know that there are a lot of folks today who say, well, there are still miracles going on. But John says in John 20 and verse 30, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These signs, these miracles are recorded in Scripture so that we can believe. Listen, I believe in every single miracle that Jesus did that's written, that's recorded. I believe that he also did many other things that are not written. But because of what is written, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that He has power over all things. And by the way, again, the, the 
physical or material manifestations of his power do not point merely to his power over these things. It points to his authority as Jesus, as the Son of God, the Christ, the prophesied, promised prophet of God. It points out his authority and that he can save us from death, from spiritual death, from, from separation from God, and reunite us with God. That's really what all these signs point to. They point to him. Signs do not point to themselves. They point to something else. And all the signs point to him. Now all the signs de demonstrate and manifest the authority of Jesus. In Luke 6 and verse 46, Jesus asked this rhetorical question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? A lot of people will call him Lord. But they demonstrate by their actions that He's really not their Lord because they don't do what he says. In Luke chapter 5, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. That's Lake the Galilee. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land and he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish the, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Why did they follow Jesus? Were they convinced of his authority? Beyond any shadow of a doubt, were they convinced that he is the Son of God, that he is the prophesied Messiah? Yes, that's exactly what brought them to lay down everything and follow Jesus. No, it's when Jesus said, go and cast out your nets, Peter hesitated. I mean, they'd been trying all night and hadn't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, when a person trusts in the authority of Jesus, you don't, you don't try to ask Jesus to explain why he wants you to do what he's told you to do. You simply do it. You obey. When 
you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ and you see it and you see how it works in your own life. I mean, in that He can change your life. He can change anyone's life who trusts in Him and submits to Him. He can help you overcome any obstacle in your life. He can help you defeat any enemy in your life. Jesus Christ can save you from yourself if you will trust in His authority and do what He says doesn't mean that all things in this world are going to be well. It means that he gives you what you need so that you can conquer the things in this world. And when we come to realize the authority of Jesus, we need to be kind of like Peter, or a lot like Peter. We need to fall down at Jesus. We need to praise him. We need to worship him. And we need to recognize his holiness and our sinfulness. And with humility, devote ourselves, give our lives to him. They forsook all and followed him. Now that's what real belief, real trust in the authority of Jesus Christ will bring about in your life. That's what it'll do. And if you don't have that trust in his authority, you're not going to follow him. You may give him lip service. You may say, yes, I love him, I trust him, I believe in him, he's Lord. But if you don't do what he says, he's really not your Lord. If we're convinced of Jesus' authority, we will respond with humility, bowing ourselves before him, seeking out his will in our lives, and doing whatever we can to serve him faithfully. If we're truly convinced of the greatness of his authority, we will also recognize our desperate need for him. We need to be cleansed by him. We need to be saved by him. Because as we look at ourselves honestly in this wicked world, we see that we're a part of it. And we need to be saved from the wrath of God, from destruction. And we need to... We need to depend on him to do that. And it's only by his authority. If we trust in his authority, we will do exactly what these men did. We will forsake all and follow him. You know, it is also interesting that Jesus said from now on, you will, be, you will catch men. If we truly trust in Jesus, that's something else we will do. We will share him. We will talk to others about him. We will serve him faithfully and we will help lead others to him. We will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But it's only if we truly trust in his authority and follow his will. We will believe and we will confess him. We will trust in who he is and we will confess him for who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has been raised from the dead. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. We recognize him now in that authorized position of Lord at the right hand of the Father. That we owe him our obedience. We recognize the need to turn away from sin. That is unlawful, ungodly, sinful behavior. And turn our lives over to him and let him govern our lives. That's what repentance really is. Repentance is a turning away from sin and turning in our hearts to Jesus Christ. And let him govern us. We need to believe and be baptized in his name. That expression, by the way, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That word in 
is the, from the Greek word epi. It's a preposition that means upon. You're, you are being baptized upon the name or the authority of Jesus Christ. You're resting your life and your hope, your future, on the authority of Jesus Christ by submitting to His will. That's what baptism is really about. And when you do that, He forgives you of your sins. He exercises His authority in cleansing you and adding you to His body. But Jesus Himself is the one who said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Do we believe Jesus? Do we trust in His authority? Are we willing to leave all and follow Jesus You know, in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul there writes in verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Why do you think Paul spent so much ink Emphasizing the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. That idea, He is before all things he is the cause of all things. And by Him all things exist and they exist in Him. He is the head of the body, the church. Are we willing to truly trust in His authority? He has all authority. You know, Jesus can't keep His promises. You know, when, Peter's, when Peter said, you know, we, we've told all night, but at your word, We'll go. Peter understood Jesus had the authority to bring about a good result for him and his crew. He, he believed that. So he did it. Do we believe in Jesus' authority enough to do what he says? To humbly submit to his will? We need to realize that we ourselves are weak and sinful creatures who need him who need Him in our lives, who need Him to govern our lives and to bring us home to glory because He has the authority to do all of that and much more. Are we willing to do what He has said? Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you believe Him? Why do so many not believe Him? They haven't learned to trust in His authority. Not really. But I hope it's different for you. If we can help you this morning, if you would need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, then submit to Him. Because in the end, really, His words will be the words that will judge us in the last day, John 12, 48. If we can help you in your obedience to the gospel and submitting to Him, we encourage you. Won't you come while we stand? While we stand.